I want to bring you a word today called counting sheep. Counting sheep. Have you ever had trouble sleeping? Anybody in the room? You're not alone. Yesterday, I uh, was doing what I love to do, and I love to burn things. Many of you know that about me. So my favorite thing is to put to a fire pit and start burning things, and I happened to have six large television boxes that needed to be burned. It's a good afternoon for me. Excited about that. So I'm out there doing it, and I start going through the garage, like, what else do I got in here that I can burn? Because that's amazing to do. And uh, so I ended up throwing something into the fire, and something came up and hit me in the eye. And uh, lo and behold, I got a piece of something lodged in there. So we had a meeting here at the church last night, but I had to text and say, hey, I'm going to be late. I have to go to the emergency room. They had to take this little drill and got it out. But they got it out in Jesus' name. Good. And uh, anyway, but my vision on this side is still really blurry. And so all night, you keep waking up, and you're trying to be like, wait, is it? Is it not? Is it? But you know, it's already the middle of the night, and who can see right in the middle of the night? So lo and behold, it left me tossing and turning, trying to figure out, wait a minute. Anyway, it's, it's a lot better than it was yesterday, so I give praise to God. But I say all that in talking about sleepless nights, because been there last night, been there many nights, as many of us have. But they actually say between 50 and 70 million Americans find it difficult to sleep. There are a lot of reasons for this. Some of them have different disorders, uh, psychological, uh, maybe you had too much caffeine, or maybe you're in some type of physical pain and it's hard to fall asleep when you're in pain, or uh, maybe you have breathing problems like sleep apnea. Um, it has to be love if your partner has sleep apnea and you have a machine. And uh, I don't, I, me and Sarah are like, the first one to get that, like, we're on we're rocky soil of who's leaving. Because uh, <laughs> she'd probably love it. She has like six fans all blowing on her. I think we're the only people who ever went in the hospital to give birth to our children carrying her special pillows that she has to have and her fan, which is just weird. But anyway... Sometimes it's environmental, maybe you're too cold, maybe you're too hot, maybe the dog's pushed up against you, whatever, too much light in your room. Anyway, point is there's a lot of reasons that people can't fall asleep. And I want to bring us a verse of scripture today where we're looking at the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul couldn't sleep. He was bothered. He was up all night. And I don't actually know if he was up all night, but it's kind of an expression because the Apostle Paul is bothered about something. There's this great issue he's concerned about. And we're going to open up to Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 1. And I actually want you to see right in the beginning of this verse, he says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. What a great conflict I have for you. And he uses this word conflict and he says it's, it's a, a struggle. It's, it's uh, agony. It means intense strain. So Paul is greatly bothered about something. Something is keeping him up at night. This is not unusual. If you know some of Paul's writings, remember at one point he gives this long list of things that he suffered as an apostle. Um, this is found in 2 Corinthians 11. He goes through and he says there were perils, there were robbers, there were uh, perilous seas, rocks were thrown at me, etc. And he's, he's bringing this list of difficult things that he walked through. And so he ends by saying, besides all these other things, what has come to me is a daily concern for the churches. So what we're about to read together is Paul's daily concern for the church. Amen? So let's pick it up. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those uh, 
who have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should receive, or excuse me, deceive you with pervasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opening of your word. And Father, we just thank you that as we open your word to receive it today, it fills our hearts with joy and peace and gladness that we again can gather around what you spoke to the church, what you would say to us today, and we ask that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the confidence to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. All right, so Paul's writing to this this group of people. He probably never met this group of people. Many theologians say he didn't start the church, but somebody else started the church. And the guy who started the church goes to see Paul in prison in Rome, and he kind of gives him an update on what's going on in the church. And Paul is greatly bothered by the report. And it bothers him enough to write this letter And really what's bothering him and what's keeping him up at night is there are these new ideas that are infiltrating the church. Some strange thoughts, some little thoughts, some new ideas, some novel fresh ideas about who and what Jesus is. And Paul's very concerned about this. He's concerned that these teachers who are spreading this false doctrine are so good at what they do that they're so pervasive that the church is going to be swayed by this false doctrine that's coming in. And Paul's being very vulnerable here when he writes to them and say, you know, this is the apostle, right? When he says, he's very vulnerable when he says, listen, this bothers me. This is keeping me up at night. This isn't setting well with me. This, This is a challenge to me. So we just read those 10 verses together of this letter, and we're going to break down those verses, and there's probably like 20 thoughts in there, but I'm going to break it down to two. Is that all right for you? If you want the 20, just let me know. All right, you're good with, with, with the two. All right. The two main thoughts that we're going to gather around in Paul's letter today is number one, believe, and number two, behave. Everybody say believe. believe. Everybody say Behave. Believe and behave. Believe means you have to know it. You have to understand it. You have to know the why behind the what. Why do we act this way? Because we believe a certain thing. And to behave means to not just know it, but you must grow it into your lifestyle. Right? So we can believe some things, 
but not act out those things. And as a result, what we're believing isn't fulfilled in our lives. Are you with me? So let's gather around belief for a minute. Paul's first concern for them is that they believe the right things about Jesus. That they have an understanding and a knowledge about who Jesus is. Let's go back to verse 2. If you have a Bible, you can open it up there. And it says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. That's his big concern is that they would have the right knowledge and understanding which will affect their love in that church. I want you to look at verse 2 in the third word. It says hearts, that their hearts might be encouraged. In our modern Western culture, when we speak of heart, we usually think about uh, a place of feeling and, you know, we express our love because it's what's in our heart and how I feel about you or feel about a situation, we would say is a, a place that's in my, my heart. It's my feelings, my uh, seat of emotions, if you will. And even Christians say things like this. We say, you know, you can't have head knowledge. You have to have heart knowledge, right? It's not that you just know it in your head. It's that you know it in your heart. But actually, this is a uh, false dichotomy, if you will, of heart versus head because it's very uh, an unhealthy way to evaluate the two. And here's why. Because Proverbs 23, 7 says this, as a man thinks in his heart as a man thinks in his heart. See, we separate the two and we say, well, you have your thinking and then you have your feeling. Thinking is brain, feeling is heart. But that's not actually scriptural. Scriptural is heart is not just feeling, but it's your thinking. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Come on, somebody. So the root issue is really the heart issue. Not just the thinking, but it's a heart. Because thinking is something that happens in your heart. It's a place where you process your thoughts. It's the seat, if you will, of your will. It's the place you understand or don't understand things. That is the nature of your heart that Paul is talking about. That we might talk about the heart in this biblical thing of trying to separate the mind and the heart is not correct. So what Paul is saying in these first five verses, he's really saying, look... I'm really concerned that you guys have doubts in your mind or in your heart as to who Jesus Christ really is. And those doubts about Jesus are going to disrupt your unity or what he calls being knit together in love. There's this overarching emphasis in this entire paragraph, and that's this emphasis of the contrast between Jesus Christ and human philosophy. Jesus Christ and human philosophy. And I know we're not shouting today and we're jumping a little bit deeper, but there's a reason. So just hang with me, all right? So if we go to verse 8 in what we just read, Paul goes on in his warning. He says, beware unless anyone cheat you through uh, philosophy and empty deceit according to, to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See, again, there's this philosophy of Christ and this philosophy of humanism. That's kind of the overarching thing. Don't let anyone deceive you. 
bringing you into the philosophy or the tradition of the world or the tradition of man because we don't follow the tradition of world or the tradition of man. What are we? Believers. We are Christians. We, we follow the tradition of Christ. And so that's what Paul is. He, he's, he's looking at the church and he's saying, I'm concerned that we would be followers of Christ by name only and not by actual belief rooted in our heart and displayed in our walk. That somehow we would be swayed in the church, in the body of Christ, by another doctrine that would come into the body of Christ, that would be of the tradition of the world or of men. Paul was very, very concerned that the church would ever allow the traditions of the world or traditions of men to infiltrate the walls of the church. That's why he said, lest anyone should deceive you with pervasive words. I'm drawing all this attention because I want you to see that all of these things are mental activities. They needed to understand who Jesus is, that he was the creator, that he's the sustainer, he's the head of the church, he's the reconciler of humanity, and all of the fullness of God is in him. They needed to believe, they needed to know. Everybody say believe. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, what a person believes about God or Jesus is the most important thing about that person. Did you know that all of us are theologians? I know we say that word and we think it's some guy with a long beard sitting by a candle somewhere in a dungy room studying the scripture of God and waiting for inspiration. But we're actually all theologians. You say, well, I don't do theology like that. I'm, well, you do. Even atheists are theologians. Why? Because it, a theologian is really what your opinion is as to who God is and what God does. So you can't avoid being a theologian. You have a theology. Maybe your theology is that God doesn't exist, that, you know, to Adam things combined and the whole world combusted, and that's wonderful, and but then you have to break that track down. Well, then where did the atoms come from? Somewhere something had to come from absolutely nothing. And how does that happen? But anyway, that's not what we're here to preach about. <laughs> what we're here to preach about is you are a the theologian. And my question to you is, are you a good one or a bad one? Is it does your belief about God and who he is and about Christ and what he does, is it according to scripture or is it according to what you heard over here and what somebody else said to you? And have you brought in a little bit of the theology of the world? And let me get this real clear. And have you brought into your theology your life experiences? That's what gets a lot of people. Well, I know the Bible says that God's good, but I didn't experience goodness in this situation. Therefore, I may not verbally ever say it with my mouth, but my attitude, the decisions I make, and how I view God are now altered, and I don't really believe that God is good because I allowed my human experience to dictate my theology. Instead of like we sang in that song, he's still worthy. The sufferings of this life, 
problems in this world, circumstances that befall us. Come on. The Bible says it will rain on the just and the unjust. The difference is we will withstand when it rains on us. And the difference is when we close our eyes on this people planet for the very last time, we will live forever and eternity with God in heaven until we come back to this earth to rule and reign with him. Come on, somebody. Our ending is different. But while we're on this earth, we will see the goodness of God. That's why David said, I thought about it yesterday. David said, I would have despaired. I would have given up hope. I would have lost confidence. I would have run. I would have quit. I would have walked away unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But what that prophesies is what he was seeing around him was not the goodness of God. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to believe to see it. So we have to be careful that our theology is built and based on the finished work of the cross and the finished work of Calvary and what Christ did. So are you a good theologian or are you a bad one? So the more you know and understand the truth, the more we will be able to detect when there's error. The more we're able to detect error, will be able to stand up against those who promote false doctrine and promote false error. One thing I found fascinating is, you know, I, I watched this program where they were talking about people who detect counterfeit money. And if I was setting up a program to do this, I would try to get every counterfeit dollar and put it in front of the person and here's what they did over here and here's what they did and chasing down every new counterfeit type of money that they can find to try to show the people here's what they're doing. But actually how they train people in finding counterfeit money is not by giving them the counterfeit money but by giving them the real money. And they just let them observe it and they study it and they look at every graphic and they touch it in their fingers and they feel it and they crumble it and they spend time with it and they take it in and they, they just know so much about the real thing so that when something is presented to them, that's not the real thing. They may not know exactly where it is, but there's just something that doesn't sit right. And it's not because I've been chasing down the wrong thing. It's because I've spent so much time with the real thing. You don't got to tell me that that's not right teaching. You don't got to tell me that God's not in that mess. I've spent so much time with him that I know what is the real thing. Come on, if we spent less time chasing and everybody on Facebook who doesn't believe right and posting to try to correct everybody else's theology and spent more time just with Jesus and me. I don't need to chase down every false doctrine. I need to make sure that I'm rooted and I'm grounded so that when false things come across my ears, it just says, no, I don't know what it is, but there's something it just doesn't feel right. Some look right there. I, I don't know. I don't know. Verse 5, he goes on to say, Though I am absent in the flesh, I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your, and notice this, good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Their good order, their steadfastness. I would love that to be said of, of, of us if God looked at our church or an apostle looked at our church. You know what? They are steadfast and they are of good order. Those two words happen to be military terms. Good order or steadfastness, it's, it speaks about soldiers who stand in formation and make a solid, united front standing together for truth and standing together for victory. So knowing truth will keep you standing strong and help us stay together. 
James uh, Montgomery Boy says this, we do not have a strong church today, nor do we have many strong Christians. And we can trace the calls to an acute lack of sound spiritual knowledge. And man, I think that's so true. Sound spiritual knowledge. Ask many Christians, the average Christian, to talk about God after getting past the expected answers. Well, he's good and he loves me. But tell me a little bit about him. Tell me about his nature. Tell me about who he is. Well, I know I use this illustration a lot, but it's, you know, creation testifies of who he is. But if you've been married to your spouse for 20 years and you don't know what their favorite color is, you don't know what color their eyes are, you don't know what they like to eat for breakfast, it's like there's something wrong relationally. Well, I made a decision 20 years ago to be married, so by identity I'm, I'm married. They have my name and I have their name, and that's how Christians act. I went to the altar, I prayed the prayer, I accepted Christ, and now I'm a Christian. I rejoice in the benefits. Right? I'll get intimate when I want to get intimate. I'll enjoy the tax return filing head of household. It's tax season. I'm just trying to play into what we're going through, right? <laughs> but when it really boils down to is your relationship successful, it'll be found in the details of your knowledge of the other person. Because the more time you invest and spend with the other person, the more details you're going to extract. Oh, no, no, they don't like that, and they would prefer this, and, you know, they want that. Because why? So that is an earmark of a successful relationship. So if as believers we can't get past the ABCs of Christianity, that God loves me and he wants to bless me and has wonderful things for my life, which is all true, benefits of the marriage, but we can't walk and talk about when I was going through the darkest season and the hardest night of my life, I found another dimension of who God is. I found his presence that stuck closer than a brother. He was more real to me than the very next breath that I breathed. I know him intimately. He was there with me and nobody can take that experience away from me. Amen. You walk out of it with a different experience. Question is, what do you want to walk out with? A marriage certificate that says, I identify as a Christian. When temptation comes, you won't stay married. When false doctrine comes, you won't stay married. When it rains on the just and the unjust, and the storm is blowing against your house, what you said at an altar 20 years ago will not sustain you. What he said to you this morning is what will sustain you. If you're still living off of an experience 20 years ago, you've got problems. But he's real every day. That's why he calls us his bride. He's our husband. We are the bride of Christ because he wants to know us that in that intimate way. He wants to do life with us and have relationship with us. He wants us to wake up and say, good morning, Father. And at the end of the day, say, thank you for the blessings today and walk me through the hard seasons today. But thank you for it. And he wants us to have that intimacy where we're doing life together with God. And when we're good at that, when we invest into that, when false doctrines come into the church, it won't be hard to sniff them out. That's why 
you know, Pastor Jason and I were talking, you know, we have our, our chapels that air on Pioneer Network on, on Wednesdays. And the vision of our, our chapel services was to go verse by verse teaching through the Bible and to, to take a book of the Bible and teach it verse by verse. And I know not a lot of people like that. I, absolutely, I actually love it. I love being inspired. I love good gospel, Holy Ghost, shouting, preaching too. But every once in a while, I just need verse by verse teaching. It's not exciting. I'm not jumping and not spinning anywhere. But the word of God is going deeper in my heart. And I'm learning more about the ins and outs of who he is and what's being revealed in scripture and how to respond rightly and how to respond wrongly. And I'm learning my theology. I don't ever want anyone who comes to Hope City to be spiritually illiterate. I want us to be the best loved and the best fed congregation in the world. That's why this year the Lord just said, I want teaching coming from this house. That's why we're doing our Wednesday night Bible studies once a quarter. That's why as an elder team, we're looking at other ways to bring teaching to you. That's why we have a television network that brings it to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on demand, live streaming, all of that stuff. Because I want you to be spiritually fed. You can't attach your Christian faith to a pastor. I can't tell you how many believers, people that I've done life with in church and a pastor leaves or something happens and why I used to go to that church and then something happened with the pastor and I don't go anymore and well, your relationship wasn't with the pastor and I understand that hurts but your relationship should have been with God not me. And if I go to heaven tomorrow, your relationship needs to be fixed and a foundation built on God. But I don't care who comes and goes out of my life. I don't care how hard it is. My foundation is on God and God alone. As a pastor, I read what is ahead in the book of Revelation and Daniel of the last days. You know, they, they just came back with that uh, Left Behind movie, the next one. And, uh, you know, it's sparking more interest again in the church of, of that, uh, you know, the revelation, what the end will look like and all of those things. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's exciting to know that God is coming. He's going to rapture his church out of here. That one day we'll be taken away, that like, you know, all the suffering, all the pain will be over. We'll be with God in heaven. Like, it's exciting. But as a pastor, we also under, I also understand that what comes along with the last days, the Bible says deception comes along with the last days. It's a part of the promise of Scripture. Listen to 2 Timothy 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure it. Who's he talking about? Church. Who's listening to doctrine? Not the world, the church. So he's saying there's coming a day where the church will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears that they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Every day I receive tons of emails being a pastor of how to grow your church, 20 steps to do in 2023 to grow your church. And you can break it all down into this, bring the best worship, get the best coffee, make sure your donuts are on point. If you gotta cut the teaching of the word, cut it because people want 
a vibe, an experience. Jeremiah prophesies this and he says, listen, Jeremiah says, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. My people love to have the prophets prophesy falsely and my leaders rule by their own power. So we need to be careful. I'm concerned when I get on social media and I see the demonic push to push against core Christian beliefs. I've said this to you for months now. I believe the tide in America has turned when it comes to Christianity. It used to be, well, culturally, we were a Christian nation. Not so anymore. And it's turned into such a way that almost to say that I'm a Christian, many people will then put a label on me as, well, hate speech and you don't love it. And it's almost become this horrible thing. And I go through Facebook every day or social media platforms and oftentimes I see oh, well, here's what the Bible really says, and here's what this, and I'll listen, and sometimes I have to be like, well, now i got to study that. Because it sounds right to me. I know it's wrong because I know the real thing. But they're presenting a good argument. It's all a build-up to the last days. And I wouldn't be your pastor if I just tried to inspire you and get you to shout on Sunday morning and not warn you. You better know who Jesus Christ is. You better be in his teaching. You better be built on a solid foundation. You better put in the time, honey. You got to open that book. You got to study it. You got to find the podcast. You got to listen to the scripture. You got to get that in your ear, in your home. If your kids know more about Minecraft than they do about God, and all you're doing is relying on us to teach them for the hour that we have them, and that's their only spiritual growth and development then we are raising another generation who when false doctrine comes they'll think well that seems right because they've never encountered the real thing church so as your pastor it's my plea to us today just like Paul that we would be stirred and on watch that we would know the right doctrine I'm not saying that we like I said it's not about chasing the false I don't need to go out and attack everybody who's preaching a false gospel. I don't need to badmouth another church because they're preaching something I believe. I don't need to do any of that and waste my energy. I need to know the real thing. So this is what kept Paul up at night. He could see the possibility of what was coming to the church. He could see that false doctrines would, would come. So number one was believe. Number two, I'll make it a little bit quicker is behave. Behave. Everybody say behave. behave. Don't just believe, but behave. Let your activity catch up with your mind. You know, it's a funny thing when you tell your kids to, well, behave, behave. And I've been trying to be intentional of letting them know why and saying, well, we want to behave in church today because God's working in people's hearts and we don't want to disrupt what he's doing and trying to put a little... So yesterday I was doing the fire, as I told you, and Jeremiah was out there and the flames were pretty big and the winds had shifted and started blowing it towards us and so I made a move and I, again, was trying to be intentional about giving him instruction of, hey, just don't just stay away from the smoke. But I wanted to understand that 
if the wind shifts and the fire shifts, like you could be consumed in flame. And so I tried to be as graphic as possible. And I said to him, well, and you need to be careful because being burned is one of the most painful things you could ever have happen. It actually melts off your whole skin. So that's why you never go close, like doing all of this. Two seconds later, the little thing came up and hit me in the eye and I'm like this. And he's like, dad, are you okay? Did, did you get burned? And I said, no, I think I'm all right. So anyway, I went into the house and had Sarah look at it. We saw there was something in there. So I left to go to the hospital and Jeremiah is at the table eating dinner and she says to him, hey, we want to pray for daddy. Daddy got burned at the fire and had to go to the hospital. Now, the last conversation I had with him was that the fire will melt off your skin entirely and it's the worst thing. So he immediately breaks out in tears crying at the table. Don't you love it? And she's like, what? Like, it's not that big of a deal. But she didn't know the conversation that I had previously just had of telling him that your skin will melt off and it's the worst thing that you can ever go through. So, again, we want to teach we behave because we believe. We behave because we believe. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. His first concern, church, know it. Know it, know it, know it, know it. Know what God said, know what he does, know what he thinks, know what he believes, know what he's doing, know where he's been, know where he's going. And the second is grow in it. Behave like you know it. Behave like you believe in it. He says, so walk in him. What does it mean to walk in Christ? It's your lifestyle. It's how you conduct your living. If you know about God but never put it into practice and allow it to impact your daily living, come on. Satan knows scripture. It's not like, well, I know scripture, I'm, I'm good. Satan knows Christ went to the cross and was resurrected. He was there. So to know it's not enough. To believe it's not enough. To say, I will behave according to it and let it impact my everyday living is where the power's at. Come on, somebody. We have to let it impact our walk. Team, you can come. I'm going to give you three quick things to let it help your walk. Number one, you have to keep moving forward so that you don't slip backwards. Keep moving forward so you don't slip backwards. So to walk in him is this present tense. What am I doing every day? I talked to you the last few weeks about relationship. People leave the church because their relationship with God stopped growing at some point. They got an experience and they stayed. But to really receive Christ, we have to walk forward, keep moving forward, keep pressing in, keep going after more of God, keep praying more, keep seeking God more, just begin to do life with God more. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, the Christian life is like climbing a hill of ice. You can't slide up. Have you, you heard anybody sliding up a hill? No. We call it backsliding for a reason. Because if you're not going forward, 
you're going backwards. Why? Because God never stops moving. He never stops moving. Number two, you have to grow down so that you can grow up. Verse seven said, being rooted, that's the downward growth. And built up in him, that's the upward growth. Rooted and building up, it built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. So grow down so you can grow up. We love to grow up. We love the leaves. We love the fruit. But we got to go for depth here. We got to make sure we're planted. Get a root system in our Christian life. A Christian has to grow down before we can ever grow up. Good fruit depends on a good root. The Bible says we will know that we are Christians by the fruit growing in our lives. If you stop producing good fruit in your life, let me break that down in a tangible way. If your attitude never changes, if you never get control of the anger issue, if you aren't better than you were five years ago, then there's something wrong with your root system because it's not producing better fruit in your life. The same fruit that you've had is the same fruit that you have now. Are you with me? So if you realize I've been going around this mountain with this problem for years, I don't want to be this way, then I have to start boiling it down. Where is my root system not going deep enough? And then I got to open up this book and I got to say, God, take me deeper. Grow me deeper. And as I grow deeper, it'll fix the root problem. And as a natural result, nobody has to beg a tree to grow. Nobody has to beg a tree to flourish. Nobody has to beg and convince a tree, please, 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 please grow an apple. Please act like Christians. Please show the love of Christ. Please guard your tongue and don't say whatever feeling. Quit cussing around your kids. Quit saying wrong things. Quit gossiping. Quit back. We don't have to beg a tree. Why? It is a, the growth of the fruit is a natural response to the depth of the root. It will just happen. And when it doesn't happen, religion steps in and says, I'll force you to do it. I'll make you feel guilty and to do it. And we try to force it. I have to force it. I have to force it. Nobody has to beg me to go home to my wife. We've built a life together. We have roots that run deep together. The natural result is I want to go home. I want to spend time. Come on, somebody. You can stand to your feet. And number three, thinking should lead to thanking. Paul ends his letter to the church and he says that we should be abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's the effect of having good theology. Is you will overflow in thanksgiving. Listen, if you are down in the mouth and always pessimistic and always bummed out, if you're always guessing that there's something that you you know, don't understand or everybody else has it better than you or you're just a negative person. That's a sign that you're not a mature, healthy Christian. Not condemning anybody. It's just saying, I don't know, miracle grow to the thing. Repot it. Get some stronger, get some better roots. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this word. And Lord, we thank you that this word will challenge our hearts and challenge our understanding to not just 
know about you, but to lean in, to understand more of you. To not just confess that we're Christians because of a prayer we prayed at an altar somewhere, but be Christians because of how we talk and how we walk and how we live and how we respond. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.